as I said before, we're moving to a, a new series this morning uh, called Come to the Cross. This is week one. We're doing this for five weeks, so including Easter and the Sunday after Easter as well. Um, often, uh, I mean, I, I suppose not all the time, but often when we come to Easter, uh, we take just one Sunday, sometimes two if you include Palm Sunday, and then sometimes there's services, you know, like Good Friday and those kinds of things. Um, but we, we just kind of take that short time to talk about the highest point. I'd call it the highest point in the Christian calendar, even more so, I believe, than Christmas. I mean, Christmas is special, and we do special things, and of course, it's highly commercialized, so there's, you know, it's amped up, as it were. But the high point actually is Easter, because everything is centered here, you know, at, at the cross. Uh, so this year, I decided I was going to take a little longer, so we're jumping out of Genesis. We'll move back there later. Um, decided to take a little bit longer to get there, if you will, and stay there a bit longer and talk more about the cross, the importance of it, and what it means for us. So, uh, you know, sometimes when we take trips, we're just kind of in a hurry to get there, as it were. But, uh, you know, have you ever taken a trip like that? You know, you're just in a hurry, right? Uh, you want to get to the beach or to the lake or, you know, to the cabin in the mountains or grandma's house or wherever you're going. Places you've planned to go to or, or you've been there before and you want to get back there. You just want to get there, right? And uh, especially if you're traveling with children because they tend to be impatient in the car. Are we there yet? Remember those words? And uh, so you just want to get there. But there have been a few times uh, where we have done things a bit differently. And I say we uh, in our family. Just a couple of times where the trips are, are little, have been a little bit different. Uh, one trip in particular we took as a family uh, from our, our home in, in southern Alberta in Canada. Uh, we went we crossed down into the States and, and went west over to the Oregon coast and all the way down the Oregon coast to California camping. So we camped uh, in what's called a yurt. I don't know if you know what they are. Uh, on the beach in Oregon, it was amazing. Yurts are kind of those... Mongolian half cabin, half tent things. They're round and, and you can rent them. And we rented one right there on the beach in Oregon. It was spectacular. We spent a few nights camping uh, in the California Redwoods. Unbelievable. Uh, we rode the wooden roller coaster on the beach in Santa Cruz, if you ever get a chance to do that. Uh, we went to a baseball game in the States with our family in California on July the 4th. And a stunning fireworks show that followed it. Went all the way to, down to Disneyland and back, and then made our way back up slowly all the way back home to Canada. Uh, and it was an amazing adventure for us. And we will always remember that as a family. We talk about that trip often. It was fantastic. We spread it out over, over at least a month. I think it was a little bit longer. As I began to think about Easter and what I could share or teach that would be um, fresh new and engaging for our church family, I had the conviction, like I just said, that perhaps we needed to spend a bit more time thinking about how we get there, the journey itself, and aspects of what the cross means, and just slow down a bit, as it were. If you were a disciple of Jesus in those days, you would have begun to feel it, you would have begun to, to hear it, because Jesus began to talk about uh, the impending, approaching end of his journey in the cross. You, you 
heard him say these things if you were there. And you, you would have sat around the campfire in the evenings and wandered and talked amongst yourselves about his words and what they meant, what they would mean for you. I'm sure there would have been lots of discussion. Here's, here's a, a passage from Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 21. You see this in the Gospels. And Jesus traveling around doing ministry, and then it says something along this lines. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And of course, this is that famous passage where Peter finds this horribly offensive, and he's like, Lord, you know, you know, can't be that way. And and Jesus rebukes him and says, you know, away, Satan, you know, get behind me, Satan. You know, literally, he's like, Satan's entered you right now. This is the way it has to be. So they began to hear Jesus say these things. And his direction turned, and he started to head toward Jerusalem. I thought we'd pick that up this morning and talk about the path this morning. So this morning, the series is called Come to the Cross, and this is called the path to the cross. So I would like to take some time to slow down, as it were, dive into some of these passages and concepts leading up to Calvary to take it all in, consider it a little longer, a little deeper, focus on key issues and realities. I would like us to think about what it means to live on this journey with Jesus and in light of the cross. Again, today we'll look at the path Just a a few chapters, a few weeks, literally, uh, before the fateful last week, as Jesus begins to, you know, ramp up, if I can use that language, uh, the the rhetoric of of what's to come yet for him. So if you were reading your emails this week, I asked you to consider reading um, this passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 10, and we're going to get to it in a moment. But I'm I'm sure that uh, all this talk about his death must have rattled them, really. He was their teacher. He was their friend, leader, guide, and they were beginning to see him for who he really was, his true identity, beginning. And that would deepen, intensify, obviously, in the days and weeks to come. But they were starting to understand. And then he says, you know, I must go to Jerusalem. It would come to an end. But, you know, along the way, as hard as the news was to fathom and understand, you know, what he was saying about what must happen to him, he drops another bomb, like literally. And again, back in Matthew chapter 16, just prior to that amazing passage called the Transfiguration where Jesus goes up on the mountain and he, he, you know, he has this meeting with Moses and Elijah and, uh, and, you know, some of the disciples get to, to see this. Peter, James, and John get to see this. These incredible things happen. And just before that happens, and it's recorded in a couple of the Gospels, um, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I have um, studied the cross over years. More specifically, I have studied crucifixion uh, in, you know, 20-some-odd years of of doing Easter and Good Friday and and 
I've needed to study, and it's not fun. The, the way the Romans perfected this torturous death, the agony of, of how it was dragged out, the way they degraded their victims to the point where the, the shame of the cross was nearly on par with the pain of it. It was undeniably something that must have struck heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching fear in the common public of the day. Must have. It was horrible. So when Jesus says to them, okay, that's the cultural baggage, the understanding. Hold on to that. When Jesus says to them, you must pick up your cross and follow me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's just, there's no other word. Like, it must have dropped like a bomb. Can you imagine sitting around and, you know, Jesus is teaching, talking, and, and he says this? Like, I'm sure faces went white. Jaws dropped. Uh, it's just a wow moment. The, the point is, is this. We are on this journey too. There is much to learn on the way up to the cross, if you will. I, I want us to look at this journey and learn from it, ask questions, and hopefully hang on to some of the lessons. And a question that should be asked is this, what do we or can we learn in these days leading up to Calvary as we take our own crosses and as we follow Jesus? And, and, I, and I wanted to dig into this a little bit more, and so I did some, you know, some more study and research and those kinds of things, and I, and I came across uh, what one author wrote about this verse and what it meant. And I want to I read it to you in its entirety. In short, references to crucifixion in the ancient world evoked feelings of humiliation, dishonor, misery, and shame. Every person hearing Jesus' words likely had a vivid picture of this in their minds. That would have made it jarring to hear Jesus use crucifixion in comparison to following him. Self-denial was a common enough idea in both Jewish and Greek teaching of the day. Jesus, though, pictured a self-denial that included willing participation in the death of self. In short, nobody who follows Jesus can hold on to even to the smallest bit of their own agenda, their own dreams, their own way of living in the world. They must sacrifice every ounce of self if they would choose to walk after him. So the first thing we see is this. If you're going to journey with Jesus and take up your own crosses, if we are, then we need to put self on the shelf. This is not elf on the shelf at Christmas. This is self on the shelf. And in Mark chapter 10, where I suggested you read uh, this week, we see James and John fail, the sons of Zebedee, we see James and John fail miserably at this, as Jesus began talking more and more about his death, they were putting their ideas about the kingdom of God, all these, you know, this understanding of Messiah would come to rule, this, this ancient understanding of, of who's going to, you know, squash the Romans and, and set up their kingdom. They, they added that onto this layer of what Jesus was already teaching here. And um, they, were, they were, you know, coming to their own conclusions. So they come to him and ask him to give them a place of prominence in the coming kingdom. Okay? Here's the verses. Whoever, and Jesus says this, you know, after they ask this. He's, he's having none of this. And this is what he says to them. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and four, to 45 or so. 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. There's another loaded word for their cultural context. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That little word right in the middle, or that little phrase, even the Son of Man. The one who will reign over this kingdom. The one who created this, wor- this earth, literally. Whose words spoke it into existence. Even him. Even. Perhaps one of the highest and most basic aspects of following Jesus. The highest calling and most basic aspect of following Jesus. And taking up our cross. Being his disciple. Journeying with Jesus. Is to be a servant. We talk about, a lot about leadership in the church, and, and actually, in fact, we just had a meeting last Sunday where we elected leaders for our church. But there is never really a place in the church, in any ministry, position, anything you do at all, anywhere in this life in Christ, where the word servant shouldn't be placed out front of it. Servant leadership. Servants in Sunday school, servants in worship ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. There is no place where you and I are not servants. Servants of all. Not only is this within the walls, if you want to think of it that way, this is a kingdom thing. And it, and it is a mark or a key sign of how the kingdom makes its presence apparent around us. When men, women, young and old and everything in between are serving one another, others, their friends, neighbors and even their enemies. That is the kingdom of God. That is the definition of crucified living, self-on-the-shelf living, the Jesus way. That's one of the things we learn in these days leading up to the cross. There's another incident in this passage a little further on in Mark 10 that I find rather insightful in terms of following Jesus and living this life with him. There is a character here called Blind Bartimaeus who heard, obviously, that Jesus was passing on the road. He's there on the side of the road. There's crowds, and he's begging. Okay? And culturally, he's probably an outcast to some degree. You know, as a beggar, his, it's really his only way to, to earn a living. No, no, no real social, structural you know, support systems if, if he doesn't have family to help. Even if he did, he probably would have to do it anyways. But he had heard of Jesus for sure. And he called him this. He called him son of David when he called out to him. Son of David. Now this is, this is significant in and of itself. Son of David. This is like Messiah language. Beginning to understand who this man is that walks this road in front of him. And he asked him to have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And even that language, it, it's, it, it's incredible because he, he understands that there's capacity there, power there to do something. Express, not just, oh, I'm so sorry you're, you know, you're blind. It's no, have mercy on me. You know, you can do it. In both of these aspects, in his way of addressing Jesus, he's making a significant acknowledgement. I know who you are and what you can do. I know who you are and what you can do. Here's what we learn here. Second thing this morning. If you and I are going to journey with Jesus, we need to acknowledge his presence and his power. His presence and his power. Others tried to shut him up, says it right there in the text, but he persisted, and Jesus heard him and engaged with him. And I don't, I don't want to drag uh, this metaphor further than it should, but the realities of life sometimes 
or at times, can blind us to the fact that Jesus is near. The roar of the crowd, you know, the, the literal cacophony of noises and activity in a busy city like the one we live in, you know, and life. We can miss it, miss his presence, and miss out on experiencing that presence and power to heal and restore. We can miss it. We need to acknowledge that he is here and what he holds the power to accomplish. I love the exchange here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he says this, I want to see. Like, that's it. I want to see. All right, it's done. Your faith has healed you. <laughs> well, Jesus healed him, but his faith in Jesus. And then the passage says immediately he could see. There's no waiting around. Immediately he could see. And he followed Jesus along the road. Key thought there. And he followed Jesus. And right next in the passage is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem leading up to Passion Week. Here's the lesson. Don't let what is going on around you, within you, what is holding you back or holding you down, what is being done to distract you from calling out to him to help you see, hear, fight, feel, be healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, however you need. Speak it to him. Tell him he will always be on the road with you when you need him. Love that. And from what we see here, he wants to hear from us. Let me read that again. Don't let what is going on around you or within you, what is holding you back or down or what is being done to you, don't let it distract you from calling out to him to help you see, to hear, to fight, to feel, to be healed physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, however you and whatever you need. That is the beautiful part of picking up our cross and following him. He is right there on the road with us. In these days leading up to Easter, I'd like us to remember and be reminded that we are on a journey with Jesus. We are called to carry our crosses, serve like he did, and acknowledge the hope-giving fact of his presence and power to keep us moving down the road, to keep on carrying our crosses and following him and experiencing the love, the joy, the peace, the security, all of the hopeful things that come from and through a relationship with Jesus. Let me pray.